Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team. And uh, just grateful you're spending a portion of your Sunday here uh, with us. We are in the midst of this series called Embody. And the premise of all of this is to get us to fully embrace our humanity, what it means to be made in the image of God and to uh, live a life to its fullest extent. How many guys would love to live life to the full? Yeah, yeah. No one's like, nah, give me half, right? Like there's like, we, we all want life to the full and we want to experience life to the fullest possible way. And, uh, and God actually like, gives us ways to do this and to engage this. We, we see it through scripture. We see it in community with one another. We, we see all this stuff that he, he's trying to tweak us all the time through his spirit moving in us and getting us to understand what it means to be fully human. And we've had this line uh, each week that simply just says this, that we embody whatever we worship. Uh, we embody whatever we worship. So whatever is at the core of your very being, whatever uh, you deeply value the most, whatever shapes your thoughts, whatever shapes... Uh, uh, you, you know, your, your actions, everything. Like, that is what you, what you worship, and that's what, like, comes out of us. So, so for all of us, people experience um, uh, through our actions and through our words uh, what we believe it means to be human. So uh, however someone experiences you, uh, you're like, this is what it means to be human. And what's interesting is as we pick up scripture and begin to read it, and as we've done each week, and we're looking at Genesis 1 and 2 a lot, we're not going to do that today. I'll give you a break from Genesis. Uh, but uh, we start seeing that, man, God had designed this for us to, to, to participate in this with him, to experience a fullness of life, uh, and, and, and we in turn embody this to everyone around us of who he uh, actually uh, is. And so um, today I want to talk about... Uh, our words. Uh, you know, we are always communicating. We're always communicating. Uh, when we walk into a room, we communicate something through how we actually walk. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, I, it may be odd, I don't know, but like I like to like study how people walk and how they come into a room and I like pay attention to how they walk and the pace they walk and where their head is and their eyes are and everything. And so uh, when we have interviewed people on staff, I pay attention when like how they walk into an office. Uh, when uh, you guys are walking in and out, I just like, I'm just curious about certain things because your, your body like sends a communication. And so, uh, you know, when with our kids, we always like would teach them uh, in the beginning to like walk with kind of pinch your shoulders just a little bit, like in the back, and you walk with confidence. And you and you enter through a doorway of something, you're entering into a new experience in a new room, and it and it shifts and it changes. And how you walk communicates something. Like if 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 I walked up here and I was like this, <laughs> like you guys would be like, uh, what? I don't. We got to get out of here, right? Like there's something about that reality because like just the how we like like our posture deeply matters my first job uh, out of college my my boss was like huge on this um, and and so you you would walk um, you had to like walk with pace and with purpose and if you're going to the bathroom you had to like walk with purpose to the bathroom and you had to, it was like everything was like with purpose and but he's always talking about it and it gets ingrained in you but there is something about when you encounter someone who walks with the right posture right it communicates something in the, in the way we do so I, I'm assuming all you guys walking out today are going to be like, like yeah, you know, but, um, but there's something that we're always communicating and, and we're embodying something in our, in our presence, you know, and sometimes even people, we, we forget how much we wear things that we're going through. You know, we might not say it, but we wear it. 
And so we're always um, communicating uh, something. And so, um, but what I want to talk about is our, is our words, because our words are, are so uh, critical and there's so much power in our words. And so, you know, the, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Is that true? Good gracious, no, right? Like whoever made that up was such a jerk, right? Like they were just like, because like it totally is delusional to think that that is, that is true. If I were to go around the room and, and ask you guys, hey, what's, what's the, your most favorite thing someone has said to you that has been such an encouragement to you, you could probably say something. Uh, if I said, hey, something that's stuck with you, uh, that's not so great. Can, can, can you think of something? And so I was asking our staff, and uh, there were some funny things, and <laughs> maybe sad too, uh, but uh, Lacey has one where uh, in, she was at a bar mitzvah, and you were, I don't know, sixth grade-ish, and um, she uh, had not flourished yet into the woman that she is. And uh, she... <laughs> was at this bar mitzvah, and these two boys uh, came up, and they saw her and her best friend, and uh, they, they said this, or something like this. They said, oh, we don't want to sit next to those weird girls. And, you know, you, you hear that, and they thought they were being cool or funny or whatever, but, like, she still remembers that, right? And it played an impact, and uh, guess, guess who asked them to go to prom, like, years later? Like those same two boys, because now they were something, her and her, her, and her friend. And, uh, and they said no, because <laughs> redemption, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another female on staff uh, said this, that um, she had a gap in her teeth um, for a, a long period of time. And uh, uh, she said that one of her best friend's brother uh, said this to her, um, you could put a football through there. And you can imagine as a 10 or 11-year-old, like, what that must feel like in that moment. And, uh, again, redemption is, is a wonderful thing because um, her teeth got fixed. And she was serving um, at a restaurant here downtown and was serving some dentists. And they said, you have wonderful teeth. And so it's like, a, a, like just a miracle, right? Like, it's like a wonderful, like, redemptive moment that happens. But words deeply matter. Uh, someone else on staff uh, said um, <laughs> she was young that this kid said to her, uh, you have a weird laugh. For 10 years, she laughed silently, all right? And so, now she can laugh proudly now, but, but for a long period of her life, like she laughed silently, so words deeply matter. Uh, and they can be good stuff too that like stick with you. I remember, um, yeah, I, was, I was nine, uh, and so we had uh, just won the championship, and, and um, my coach, um, Coach Abdu, like he, uh, I was nine years old, and I just crossed home plate, and he lifts me up over his head, and he's like, I'm so proud of you, right? And I just remember that moment as like a nine-year-old when, when that happened, um, or uh, as, as a 10th grader when my, my coach, he went, it was towards the end of the game, it was against one of our rivals, and he was like, if you hit these two foul shots every girl in this place will love you. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, like that's like a great encouragement. And so, but you remember certain things that people say to you all throughout your life. Um, how many of you guys have hurt someone with your words before? Yeah, every person in this room. And uh, there's, a, there's a possibility that whoever you hurt with your words, they still remember it. It's a daunting thing. And you've been hurt, um, but you've also been encouraged. You've also, like some people have said, like good things to you, but it, it helps like shape our lives, that words can actually shape the direction of our lives. 
the way that we speak about everything, like it can shape the direction of our lives. You know, you, when, uh, when you hear a word, uh, we determine whether it's positive or negative in about 200 to 300 milliseconds. Like our brains are just firing like crazy. Uh, I was watching this video uh, this week uh, from some work that was done at UC Berkeley in 2016. And they talk about how these words uh, hit our brains differently. And so in different spots of the brain. And so um, here's like a little picture from like the video uh, that they had kind of mapped out like what it begins to look like in our brains and where they discovered where words landed and different things like that. And so it was fascinating watching the video because uh, they took a word like top. Well, top could mean a lot of different things. And so top could mean like a shirt. And so that goes in one area of the brain. Top could be uh, gone to a mountain. It goes to another area of the brain. Top could be uh, top of the charts or like numerically. It goes to a whole other place of the brain. But but top was like in different parts and fires in different parts of your brain. And you start saying like, man, our words, like they just hit our brains differently. And it fires everything. And so how we start, like our perspective of the world and how we see relationships, how we see one another, it's, it's so critical, like in the words and how we perceive them and what actually comes out of us. Our words uh, deeply matter. There are certain words that have more impact than others. Uh, in a 2018 article that I was reading, doctors talking about like uh, language that doctors use. It was like interesting because they said this, like they need, like words can have healing properties. So uh, even when, this is like a uh, picture in my brain, when I get sick, uh, I'm not saying this works all the time, but but as I'm going to bed, I literally talk to myself and to my body. I'm like, you can heal yourself? Like you can get better? Like, come on, like I'm like trying to talk to my white blood cells. You know, like I'm just like, I'm trying to like, but it's, it's it's a mindset thing. That I'm con- like constantly trying to just like get into my brain, get in my brain, get in my brain, because I'm like I don't want like a negativity or pessimism or anything like that, or to like somehow like lessen my ability to heal. Uh, some of y'all might be thinking that's crazy. I'm like, well, I heal faster than you do. So like, there's, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but, but when you, but when you think about it, it's like, man, our words, like self-talk, deeply matters. It deeply matters what we're saying to ourselves. Even the, the songs we were just singing, like think about the words we were just saying, how important they are and they, and they matter and they shape certain things. Uh, with therapists, you, you, know, you might see something like this. Um, they might see, like, look at the differences between these two things. I still need to learn how to do that versus I can't do that. It's, it's, the phrasing is just, it, it's saying the same thing, but it, what does it do? It, it makes us like perceive things differently and it sets our brains in a different direction and we begin to embody something different when our words are in uh, the right spaces. You think about when a kid starts to walk and and what what does everyone do when a kid starts to walk? Come on, you could do it, right? And you're so excited and you're smiling and and you're like so engaged with that moment and you're cheering the kid on. You're like, come on. Come on, it just looks like this little drunk baby, like going, you're like, come on, come on, come on. And you're so excited. Can you imagine if we were like, hey, billions of people have done that before? Here we go. Like, it's like a weird thing, but we all know like how deeply like words matter. And so the perspective and it shapes our lives. And so I want us to talk about words because our words can be a blessing or a curse. Our words are so, um, such a big deal. The way Jesus teaches about words it's a massive deal. The way the Bible begins to talk about our words creates such this wonderful framework for us to start thinking through. I'm going to read through a bunch, bunch of passages today. 
Because I just want you to see what the Bible does. This isn't even near the amount uh, of, of verses that are around, centered around our words that come out of our mouths. But I just want you to see how the Bible begins to engage this because the framework it gives us will allow us to embody the right kinds of things. The framework that the Bible gives us uh, can really shift how we start thinking about the words that come out of our mouths and, uh, and to be sensitive to it. No one in this room is perfect at, with our words. Nobody is. And we all fail at different times. But I want you to see how the Bible begins to talk about it. So Proverbs 4. Here's one example. I'm going to run through a few Proverbs here. It says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Uh, turn your ear to my words, right? My words become this big thing here. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. That's the centering point. Whenever the Bible talks about heart, it's like, it's essentially saying the same thing, like it's the, the control center of your being. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So it's saying, okay, pay attention to the words of wisdom. Pay attention to the things because if you can pay attention to them, there's life in this, there's health in this. Another proverb, Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is what? All right, I lied about. We're, we're going to actually talk about Genesis for a second. <laughs> the idea of the tree of life, you know, I did a whole sermon a couple months ago just on the fact that tree of life is in all throughout the Bible. But it's, the Bible is just fascinating because what it's always trying to do is get us back to of like how things are supposed to be and what it means to be human. So it's like, man, this tree of life in the middle of the garden that was supposed to provide essentially immortality, this deep connection to God, the fullness of life. It's like, man, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18.2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own what? How many guys are opinionated? <laughs> I, I am. This is one I like sat with this verse for a while this week. And just was like, just thinking about it and praying over it. And I was like, man, do I fail at this? And I love a good debate. And I, like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Like my friends and I, we do that, that stuff. But how often I realize just spouting off things is just so foolish. It's just so foolish. The lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. <laughs> the mouths of fools are their undoing. And their lips are snared to their very lives. That man... It's not just people who talk a lot or anything like that. It's, what is it that's coming out of our mouths? Because we're inviting consequences. And this isn't just through being a jerk. Like, not literally, not, I don't want you to think just like, oh, I ran my mouth and I got punched in the face like it's middle school or something. It's, it can be that, like you invited a beating. But you can also invite a life beating by your words. There are, there are consequences to our words. And you can invite that on by the way we embellish or our lie or our tone or pessimism. All of those things can be there. And we're inviting either life or death, a blessing or a curse into our lives. Another one here, Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you love life, you'll eat its fruit. And there's a fullness there in, in our words. 
But then if you are kind of, kind of embodying the, the pessimism and the negativity and the, the critical nature, the anger, uh, the lying, those kinds of things, it's, you're inviting death into your life and you eat its fruit. And how do I know? By the words that come out of my mouth. They deeply matter. Proverbs 26. Without a wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel goes down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so as a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. How many of you guys have gossiped recently? Be honest. So you had to be honest because like, we're going to talk about lying in a second. So it's like, uh, <laughs> but if you, you think about this, just think about gossip. If a friend you have gossips in your presence, in all likelihood, they're probably gossiping about you in someone else's presence. And so gossip isn't just some arbitrary thing. And we start seeing, like, what's the difference between uh, telling a story or sharing information you know, versus gossip? Like, you know, gossip is like sharing stuff you're not supposed to be sharing with other people. <laughs> gossip is sharing things that are actually trying to demean someone else you know, by diminishing who they are and are dehumanizing someone else based on something that you know. And, and so you start seeing like, oh man, this whole thing of gossip, we, we take it so lightly as a normative thing, but it's like, oh, this is actually inviting death into my relationships. That I become a curse at those times. And so we start seeing this as a reality from, uh, you know, it's funny, like so many times we talk about gossip, we you know, you teach it to the, to the students, right? Because gossip is such a big deal in students. And then you get to be an adult and you're like, oh, it's here too. <laughs> and so it's, it's it, man, it spans the, the test of time in, in all age brackets, but gossip's it's critical. Here's another one. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. I love this one because sometimes you, you start seeing, uh, it was just like a little white lie. We start seeing manipulative speech and, and those kinds of things, and and you say, oh, there's something to this whole lying bit that it's actually, and let's, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but this whole lying thing is it's not just one little white lie. It's actually, as the Bible will talk about in, in a few different ways, that it's a hatred towards another person. It's a de you're dehumanizing the person that you're talking to. Because when we lie, it's for self-centered reasons. And so you start saying, oh, this whole lying thing then is a big deal. And that distaste and a dis, uh, dehumanization of the people uh, around me. And even flattering, a flattering mouth has this idea of like, uh, like someone who can schmooze really well, you know? And uh, uh, you realize like there's a beauty to some of that and how we talk and, and kind of, you know, but it can go too far because it becomes manipulation and you invite ruin into your relationships. How about some more? It's fun, right? Psalm 34, 34, 12 says, Whoever loves uh, life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling what? So we have all this, and then I want to go to what Jesus taught. Because when Jesus teaches, um, it's pretty interesting because he, um, there's, there's a kind of, 
uh, phrasing in the Bible if you're not familiar with it. And I've joked around with it um, several times, but uh, there's gird your loins is a, is a phrase that is used in the Bible. It's like essentially like protect yourself in the midst of battle and protect yourself. Something's going to be difficult. Uh, when reading this passage from Jesus, this is a daunting passage when he talks about words because it'll, it, it, it pierces your soul um, and how we engage this. And so in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking here to his disciples and he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Again, this is all Genesis language. Okay, it's all pointing us back to the Genesis story. You brood of vipers, which Jesus even saying this is a very harsh term that he uses. And he uses it not to degrade them. He uses it to show uh, the importance of what he's saying and call it to their attention. So he's not trying to dehumanize them. He's trying to get them to understand, to tie into something bigger. So it's using a, a phrasing to like, you're being just like. You're being just like something. And so, so when you hear that, it's like, oh, wow. It's like to startle them. Uh, that phrase uh, is, is a pretty harsh phrase. Um, some, some people think it's like almost like the equivalent of dropping an F-bomb, like the equivalence of how serious what Jesus is saying here. And so um, he brings, he says, like, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the what is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil things stored up in him. That there's something at, the, at our control center. It's down deep. But I tell you that everyone, this is the daunting part, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. I mean, just take that in for a second. Can you imagine? We're standing, we're, everything's done, and we're heading up to heaven, and uh, Jesus is like, hey, um, I recorded all your words, <laughs> and we're just going to have a little chat real quick, and just going to hold you accountable for what you said. Because the way that you spoke was either bringing life or death or blessing or a curse. And, and I want to hold you accountable to that. The way that you spoke to yourself, did you dehumanize yourself? I want to hold you accountable to that. Because, man, I, I, I love you. This good news that we sang about in the first song. It's like, man, my love for you is so big. And why would you have so much negative self-talk knowing how deeply I love you? care for you and want the fullness of life for you. He's like, so let's like, talk about this a little bit. And so um, I want you guys to sit with, so uh, you can take out your phones um, or whatever you take notes on. I'm going to give you like a little, just like a minute or so of just quiet time before I hone in on some practical things here. Because I want you to, to wrestle uh, with a question that I sat with this week, so I'm just bringing you into some misery here. And, um, 
Here's the question. And I, I want you to write down the answer to this. Okay? I want you to write it down so you can see it, so you can look back on this later. Um, whatever. But here's the question. What do your words say about your heart? What do your words say about your heart? So think about your interactions this week. People you're close to, the people you work with, the people you're in class with, whatever. Your parenting. I'm just going to give you a minute. Just write down an answer to this. Now there's a short, easy answer to that, right? Which you may have written down. And then there's a longer one. It takes a little more thought to process and add some depth to, which I hope you'll do later. Uh, if you were a jerk this week <laughs> and you said something you wish you hadn't, it doesn't mean that your heart is rotten. But what it does mean is that there's something in our hearts that needs to get reshaped. Because if, if, if it is true that the words that come out of our mouths are showing what's actually transpiring in our hearts, then, then we've got to just have a reckoning with that and what that begins to, to mean. And so I want to go through like three just really practical things quickly about what we see in Scripture and, and I think that what is helpful for us. There's, there's more to it around our words, but um, here are three things just to take home. The first thing is this, tell the truth. Tell the truth. And this is what Jesus did. He, he told the truth. And, and truth is an interesting thing. Uh, sometimes people, like, even, you think, oh, if I say this, if I tell the truth, it's going to be so hurtful, you know, sometimes. And sometimes, like, it, sometimes hearing the truth is difficult, and sometimes we need to do that, and sometimes uh, we have to be uh, aware of maybe when we have to understand what sharing, sharing truth uh, can look differently sometimes, too. And so uh, one of the ways that when I was writing notes this week, this, this is one of the things I put down. I said, honesty is saying true things, but wisdom is understanding what true things don't need to be said. So, uh, you know, if someone's like, you've seen, um, I don't know, like they're a dumpster fire in their relationships. And they're like, I'm the worst. And in your head, you're like, man, I do, like, you're not great. Like, you wouldn't say that. You know, you might say, well, what can we work on together? Because I'd love to be along on this journey with you instead of being like, yes. Like, I don't know how you've gone to live, live to this point with how bad you are. But like, there, so you understand there's, there's difference. The Bible even talks about this, which is really interesting. Some people will say, oh, the Bible contradicts itself. And it's, it's, it's what the Bible does is kind of show the nuance of life. It says, Proverbs 26, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will, yourself will be just like him. Then it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And so you, you begin to see there's nuance to this and, and how we interact with one another. Those verses don't contradict one another. It's just like sometimes you shouldn't answer the fool. Sometimes you need to answer the fool. 
So it's understanding what does it mean like truth and what's the wise thing to, to do in the midst of this. And our words have weight. For different people in your life, your words carry more weight. If you're a parent, your words carry more weight to your kids, right? Your, your best friends, like it carries more, more weight to one another. Uh, if you're a boss of someone, it carries more weight. Like there, there's things like your words can carry a lot of weight to, to different people in uh, your lives. To a sibling, it, it's, it's different than, than not. And so, so we're just saying, oh, our words carry more weight. It's important to, to understand that. But also this, if we don't tell the truth, though, truth without love will kind of lead to fractured and bro broken relationships. So, so it's like, if I'm telling the truth, I want to be wise and I want to be loving in how I'm, I'm telling the truth to one another. If you are conflict avoidant, you might be thinking like, yes, I don't need to tell the truth all the time. That, that's not helpful either because here's what I know about being conflict avoidant. Uh, your current comfort uh, produces a chaotic future. So it's important if you're a person who leans towards being conflict avoidant to understand all you're doing is setting yourself up for a very chaotic future. So our words become so important of like what does it mean to be truthful and honest and to be loving and gracious within that. But what does it look like to, to, to make sure that that is a reality of what's coming out of our mouths and not just lies or not just manipulation or not just flattering talk. Uh, we, are, we are never more like the devil when we are lying or manipulating. I know that's hard to hear because we've all done it, but we are never more like the devil and we are lying or manipulating. This is what we see all throughout scripture. I think John chapter eight, that the devil is the father of lies. And so we're, we're, we're seeing that, but Jesus is the truth. And so we even see this juxtaposition of, of both scenarios. And you guys know that if you've been caught in a lie, it's not like this healing moment. You realize, oh, I dehumanized the other person or oh, I brought in like, death to this relationship or, or, oh man, I really fractured something. And so we see this reality about what lying actually does. Um, it? Lying exploits other people because you are using them for some kind of self-centered advantage. So I think it's important to start thinking about lying in that capacity. Uh, here's a, a second thing I think is important is to be an encourager. Um, Lex was actually talking about this in uh, in our huddle this morning about just being in, in encouragement to one another. Uh, Ephesians 4 says this. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. That's not talking about cussing, by the way. Uh, let everything, and that doesn't mean you just freely cuss. <laughs> it's like, like, wax said it, man. And so, no, it, it's just not, it's not talking about that. All right, it's not talking about that. It, it's talking about like language that, like can cussing be demeaning? Yes. Um, but it's not just cussing. And so, uh, can, uh, if you got mad and you just randomly cussed, is that, is that follow or abusive language? No, it's, it's not. You just emotionally reacted to something and a cuss word slipped out. It happens, okay? So, I'm not trying to heap guilt on, but I want you to understand what like follow abusive language actually is. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So, when you think about our words, it's like mocking is foul and abusive. Degrading people is foul and abusive. Gossip is foul and abusive. Um, using language to be cool or like changing your language to fit into a group is actually foul and abusive language because it's lying and it's manipulating. 
And so we start seeing like, oh, it's deeper than this of what it, what it begins to mean. Um, to be an encouragement to one another is, is such a big deal when you think about the opposite is complaining and being pessimistic and negative. And so to be a, a, an encouragement is, is wonderful. We all love to be encouraged. Even if your main love language isn't words of affirmation, everyone on the face of this planet loves to be encouraged. For someone to smile at them and tell them like, oh, I love your outfit, or you did a great job today, or thank you, or whatever it is to, to be an encouragement, we all love it. It's like, why? So, so when we embody the reality and the truth of Jesus, we become an encouragement to, to everyone around us. When we choose the opposite, we become complainers and pessimistic. And, and one of the things I wrote down about that is complaining and pessimism are a window into a heart that has ignored the goodness and greatness of God. So it's understanding when we get into the space of negativity and complaining and pessimism, it's, it's a window. It's like, oh, I, I, have, I'm not, I can't be an encouragement to someone else because I don't even... I've forgotten the goodness and greatness of who God is. Encouragers are refreshing and healing and inspiring. Uh, encouragers are in community with others and there's an attachment to one another. And, and when, when Paul writes this about encouraging one another, he's not just saying it to us as individuals, though it is individual, but it's also communally. So we should, we should be an encouraging community to one another. Something beautiful, uh, what transpires there. And so here's what I want you to do this week. Uh, I want you uh, to write down, before you leave today, I want you to write down three names of people uh, that you're either going to call, text, or email, and or if you happen to see them face-to-face, -face, but you're going to encourage them this week. Just three. Just be an encourager. Pick three people. Send a text or an email or something. My email is john at, no, just kidding. Um, but like they're, they're, they're uh, you choose three people to encourage. Out of the blue. And just see, you, first of all, the, something will transpire inside of you, but man, what a gift you are uh, to the people that you encourage. And here's the last thing, to value silence. I'm like, we're talking about words. Uh, there's a beauty in silence. There's a beauty in silence because um, Carving out time every single day to have moments of silence is actually critical to the words that come out of our mouths. We, fear, we often fear silence because that is where we have to be the most honest with ourselves. When you're in those moments of silence, it's like, oh, there's, there's no distractions, there's, no, there's nothing else like manipulating anything. It's like I, I'm being fully honest with myself in this moment. And so this internal act of what, what's happening in silence is actually producing what comes out of us externally. It's a window into our souls. It's uh, uh, our ability to, to value silence allows us to speak up in the right way. Our, value, uh, our ability to value silence daily um, allows us to center ourselves in a way on the reality and the truth of who we are, where we are with Jesus in that moment. This is not about mindfulness. Mindfulness is, is good. I'm not saying there's something bad about mindfulness, but... Mindfulness is different than centering our lives on Christ. Mindfulness typically is still centered on ourselves. Um, but when we do this, when we're, we're placing this value of silence in the midst of this, we're, we're understanding, like, who am I? Where is my heart? And the reality and the truth of who Jesus is and what I've been called to be. And that in that, it's like, oh, I'm having times of repentance and confession. And it begins to reshape your heart and valuing people very differently. Henry Nouwen is, is a guy who's well-known for um, his views on silence. I want to read a couple quotes, and then we're going to take communion together. 
because this times of silence are, are really like shaping our maturity and, and, and our souls. Now it says this, the real tra trap, however, is self-rejection. He's talking about silence. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. It's negative self-talk. My dark side says I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence, that God loves you. This is the good news. This is what, um, when, we, when people talk about like prayer and meditation, and different things, like that, I'm like, there's a separation between prayerfulness and mindfulness. There's a separation between uh, solitude and silence with God than like meditation. Those are they're two different things. They overlap in, in some ways, but they're, at core levels, they're different things. It's like, oh, I, I, I want to be beloved by the creator God is the core of my existence. He also says this. As soon as we are alone, inner chaos opens up in us. This chaos can be so disturbing and so confusing that we can hardly wait to get busy again. Entering a private room and shutting the door, therefore, does not mean that we immediately shut out all our inner doubts, anxieties, fears, bad memories, unresolved conflicts, angry feelings, and impulsive desires. On the contrary, when we have removed our outer distraction, when we often find that our inner distraction manifests themselves to us in full force. We often use the outer distractions to shield ourselves from the interior noises. This makes the discipline of solitude all the more important. And I read that because it's like, what's he saying? It's like, to the very core of your heart is what you have to get to. So I want us to just pause for a second and bow your heads. We're going to take communion together. So just get the elements in your hands um, and get them ready. Um, if you need communion, you can just raise your hand. If you don't want to take communion, you don't have to. But if you need some communion elements, just raise your hand and someone will run to you. And one here, one over here, a couple over, over here. Annalisa, there's one here. Over here to your right, right here. So I just want you to hold them, get them ready. Um, 